You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. It'll be a slightly different tone this morning in the way that I preach because the last 12 months or so uh, wonderfully has been a, a season of, of, I guess, culture setting, of, of vision casting. It was wonderful to chat to someone last week to say that. Oh, it's, been, it's been really interesting to hear the way that you've been preaching, Sam. I can see what you're doing. You're trying to set culture and that's true. Tick, yes. Uh, and yet, in the midst of all of what we've been doing over the past 12 months, I've been conscious that during that time, uh, there have been members of our family here who have lost jobs. People here have been through one or two rounds of failed IVF. People whose health has taken a tragic turn for the worst. People whose businesses have failed. People whose kids have run off the rails. And I guess where my heart was stirred is that Are we going to sit up here forever? Because that is the default for many of us, that there is deep divine wrestles for each and every one of us long before we walk into this place. So we wanted the next three weeks just to have the space to acknowledge that, but not just to acknowledge that, to say, how do we process this? Because we could process it the way that society processes it. The way I see society processing your emotions is one of two different ways. One way is just to stuff your emotions, to push them in deep down, don't talk about them. And the other one is the people in society that are a slave to their emotions. Their emotions are the things that, uh, that just overtake them and they live nothing but out of their emotional headspace. You can either stuff them, stuff the tears, the fears, the doubts, or you can be a slave to the tears and the fears and the doubts that you may have in life. And here what we'll discover through this is that there is a radically different way to process all that we are going through. That the, that the Psalms in particular from the Bible say, don't, uh, don't, don't stuff your emotions and don't be a slave to your emotions, but pray your emotions. By that... I mean, bring them to God in the rawest, bluntest, angriest, realest way that you can. And here's why. Because if you dump or stuff your emotions, then you're going to become just like a Joni Mitchell. Who said, rows and flows of angels' hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. But now they only block the sun. And they rain and they snow on everyone. And clouds got in the way. You see, I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down, and still somehow it's cloud illusions, I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. And so here is the question that we are asking this morning. Is it, is it possible? Is it possible to look at life from both sides, from both the joy and the tears, and not come out disillusioned with life? To say that the good things that I have had that have been lost were as real as anything, they're not illusions, but the sorrow that is overcoming me at the moment, then that is not the way that things are meant to be. Is it possible to look at both sides and not be disillusioned? What what did the Psalms say about our tears? Here's what we'll see this morning. It says, it'll show us that you need to anticipate them, you need to invest them and you need to pray them. Anticipate them, invest them and pray them. The first thing is you've got to anticipate your tears. I don't know about you, but many of you have done a bit of life, and if you live long enough, then you will have experienced the dynamic that Joni Mitchell is getting at in her song. 
the dynamic where you say this. You, you look back on the past joys and wonder in your life and you wonder to yourself, will I ever have that again? And that's exactly the dynamic that we see in Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy, and it was said amongst the nation, this Lord is so good, he's done great things for them. This Lord has done great things for us. We were filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Now, what's going on here? We don't, we don't know what specifically is going on in the context. It's a little bit cryptic. But one thing that we do know, that there is a time in which the people of God experienced him in such real and beautiful and wonderful ways that they were beside themselves. And here they are in the desert in a time of trouble and sorrow in their life saying, are we ever going to get back there again? Is it possible that we will feel like that again? Anyone ever felt like that? Here's the first point. Being a person of God doesn't guarantee that you'll always have good times in life. Anticipate there's going to be tears. That there will be times of difficulty. And what, that, what I say that means is that, that when we get this principle, that burst, that funny bubble, that funny myth that Christians have developed over the years, and it's this one. That somehow if you have enough faith and you pray hard enough and you're a good enough person and you stay away from the bad things called sin, then God will look after you and life will be good. But look at the life of Jesus Christ. He, he, was, he was perfect in, in, in his lack of sin and, and he prayed hard and he had a perfect relationship with the Father and look at how life turned out for him. Can you see that it's totally inadequate then to be the sort of person in our context here at church? To walk up to someone and say, look, you know, may, maybe you're going through this bad time because you've sinned or there's a lack of faith. <sighs> Come on, there's so, so more nuanced than that. Look, what the emotions of the Psalms reflect is this, simply this. Sometimes life is just a conjunction of junk. And I'm using friendlier words because we're in church. <laughs> you can substitute your own. A conjunction of junk. And the people of God are no more exempt from its effects than the next person, even if they are an unbeliever. And so now already, if you get that principle, then the first resource is available to you this morning. Because if you anticipate the tears, you'll cry less. Note that I'm not saying that you won't cry, you'll just cry less. Crying is a given. If you do enough life, crying is a given. You'll just cry less. And here's why. Because if you anticipate tears, you won't be crying at the fact that you're crying. Bridget Jones style crying, you know, where it's the sort of the pyjamas and the bucket of ice cream and watching all of those movies that remind you of the broken relationship. That's, that's crying over the fact that you're crying. But if you anticipate the tears, then you'll cry less. Because you won't be shocked by what has hit you. And if you have that, then that gives you the perspective, at least a perspective that's going to give you the next resource that we see in Psalm 126 here. It says from verse 4 through to 6, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Look at the imagery here. It's poetic and it's profound. 
And here's someone who is going out like a farmer and they are, they are going out and they are planting their seeds. Uh, seeds and, and I don't know, maybe they're planting their tear, tears as seeds or maybe they're planting seeds and watering them with, with, with tears. But one thing is for sure, the, the farmer goes out and comes back and there is a harvest of joy. And what, is, what does that mean? What it means practically for us is uh, don't dump your tears and don't stuff your tears. Don't dump your tears and don't stuff your tears. It's, it's like that if you're investing money, invest them. If you invest your money, you don't, you don't dump all your money in one spot. At the same time, uh, you, you don't scatter your money willy-nilly wherever it goes. You, you, you invest your tears in order to get a return. How do you get a return on tears? C.S. Lewis talked about the deep magic of Christianity. The deep magic referring to the way that the medieval alchemists would want to try and work out how to turn lead into gold. He says there is a deep magic within Christianity, a great mystery of Christianity, that if you plant your tears into something other than the job and other than the relationship and other than the school and other than the career, if you plant your tears into something bigger and something greater and something more wonderful than what you are going through, then Christianity says it's possible to cry in such a way that the sorrow is not only giving way to joy, but the the sorrow and the tears are the very thing that's producing the joy. Do you cry like that? Do you know how to cry like that? How do we cry like that? You do it when you, when you pray your tears. You don't, you don't stuff them and you don't dump them. You're not a slave to them. You, you pray your tears. You, you pray your tears. and there, Oh, there are so many points that I could go to right now with this, but I've, I've just got to choose two to work on for you. Here's what I got out of the Psalms as I was reading through and journeying through this. Here's how you pray your tears. You invest your tears into the safety of his understanding. Invest your tears into the safety of his understanding. Have you ever seen a child when they've had something that they want stripped from them? My little bro was a classic at this. Yeah, Dad would tell him that he couldn't do something. He would take something away from him and, and, and he would run around the house going, Dad's a poo-poo. And that's sort of, again, the, uh, it's church, they're the kind of words. But he had a certain phrase for dad that only dad knows and we know, but it wasn't nice. And what was really funny about it at times in reflection, looking back on it, is as a child, he even had the audacity to do it when dad is in the room or in fact when dad has got him wrapped in his arms. Dad's a poo-poo. Um, when you pray your tears, that's how God expects you to come to him. As a father who understands. The problem is we come to him like an employer, not a father. Oh, dad, sir, boss, look, uh, the expectations of life aren't quite tracking to my forecast of what I've got here. But if you just give me the resources and a bit of the coaching to work it through, I think I'll make it through. We treat him like an employer. And that's what you don't see through the Psalms. You don't see that relationship at all. In fact, the vast majority of these Psalms are Psalms not of praise. We often think of the Psalms of praise. But the vast majority are Psalms of lament, of of tears, of crying. Psalms of lament, Psalms of tears. Look at this for one. Excerpts out of Psalm 88. 
O Lord, the God who saves me day and night, I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes to you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? Last verse, listen to this. You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. In other words, darkness is my friend. God, you're not. What is that? You know what that is? Dad's a poo-poo. And, and the, this, is what, this is what just grabbed me in all of this. The fact that we are reading this, the fact that we see this, the inclusion of this sort of writing in the Bible says that we, don't, we have a God who doesn't censor this sort of stuff out of his scriptures. But instead, with the rawness and the realness of that, it's him saying, I'm a father who can handle your rawest and your ugliest of your emotional responses, and I will still embrace you. You've got to invest your tears into the safety of his understanding. He's your heavenly father. He gets it. He gets it when you're unhappy and you're sad and you're even angry at him. The second thing you've got to do if you want to pray and invest your tears, sow your tears, is you have to invest them into the pressure of the darkness. Psalm 88, it was saying there that are your wonders known in the place of darkness? What it's saying first and foremost to us, there are seasons in life where life will be dark. That life is not how many Christians, particularly modern Christians, can tend to be. We Christians stuff our tears in one of two ways. We either, we're on the conservative side of things, so we're conservative Christians and we're stoic. And that's actually an overflow, some commentators say, of the medieval church, the reformed church, in which you just pucker up and you just submit under the willful joy of, of God's will for your life. But then there's the other end of the spectrum, the, what I call the McDonald's checkout person Christian, and they're always happy. Oh, you know, They're going through the biggest grief in life, and how are you? I'm great, I'm great. It's good. It's good. You know, both, both are stuffing the tears, whether you're conservative, whether it's the McDonald's approach. Both are stuffing the tears. You've got to pray through the pressure of the darkness. Only under intense pressure does the coal become a diamond. And there's too many examples in the Bible of this concept. I'll give you one, First Peter 1 verse 3. Even though you are suffering, you presently rejoice because you know your faith, which is worth more than gold, is being refined by the fire and will prove itself genuine at the revelation of his glory. Even though you're suffering, present tense. Even though you rejoice, present tense. Suffering, rejoicing, present tense. It's all there. It, it, you know what that is? It's the black magic that is turning lead into gold. Christianity dares to say there is a dynamic by which sorrow won't, won't be overtaken by joy, but, but, but one day the, the thing that, that is causing you trouble will make the joy even sweeter. And this is off the roadmap for people. Second Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. It, hear that? It's the tears that are producing the joy. It's the troubles that are producing the joy. It's the challenges and the grief that's making the joy sweeter in the end. How the heck does that happen? 
I've only caught glimpses of it in my life. And it was a moment when my, you know, I got the phone call from Dad to say, Sam, look, um, your mother's dying. And you need to get in the car, you need to come to Royal North Shore Hospital because she won't make the day. And I remember driving in my Holden Commodore and I'm pulling up through Beacon Hill from the beaches to get up there and I'm speeding through and I, I knew the day was coming. I was anticipating the tears. Had to with the challenges that she'd been through in her life with her alcoholism. So I anticipated the tears, but in, in, in the middle of that, as I put on a worship song, there, there were tears that I'd never experienced before and they were tears of the most harrowing and the deepest grief that I've ever experienced in my life to that point. But there was rejoicing. It's like an oil slick of joy over the top of the tears. That's it's just so hard to explain. That there was a there was a dynamic beyond the horror and the grief of the situation that brought comfort and brought a peace in all that I was doing. The question for us is. What happens in the pressure of the darkness? What happens when you can see no eye out? What happens when you pray? To, no point praying for healing in a moment like that. It's, it's, not, it's not ending in any good like that. What happens when you're in a moment of darkness in which there is no way out? And the alchemy, the medieval magic happens when in that moment we, know, we stop praying for our comforts and we stop praying for our own peace and we stop praying for our own agenda and we simply pray to God because he is God. And because we love him and he loves us. And you know what happens when we pray like that? It's the beginning of a, of a joy. It's the beginning of a deep joy. And it's the beginning of a supernatural joy. A joy that's been untethered from our agenda and the results of life and the things of life and the, com- the, the, the comforts of life. It's a joy that is grounded in God and God only himself. He prayed through the pressure of the darkness. So some of you are saying, how do I know I'm capable of this? How do I know I can do this? How, how do I know I can get through this? How do, I, how do I know that this is humanly possible? How is it humanly possible that you can face darkness and not be broken forever? You've got to come back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was one before us who set a perfect example of, of what, it, what it meant to not be a slave to his emotions and not to stuff his emotions. When you see Jesus, look at Gethsemane in the garden that he's praying. There we see a guy investing his tears. There's a guy anticipating tears. There is a man uh, sowing his tears. Sowing what? Firstly, into the understanding of his, into the safety of his father's understanding. Dad, Abba, Father, Daddy, if it be your will, then, then sort this situation out. And then we see a man praying in the pressure of the darkness. A fresh revelation I've had in recent weeks. As Jesus is there sweating drops of blood, they weren't, they weren't falling out of him. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. I discovered a couple of weeks back, you know what Gethsemane meant? Gethsemane means olive press. I know I'm wandering theologically here, but 
But can you imagine for a second that maybe these drops of blood are not falling out of him? They're not being sweated out of him. They're being crushed out of him by the pressure of the darkness and the loneliness that he was feeling in that moment. He understands. He understands what it's like to pray that way because he prayed that way himself. But the gospel is not just the darkness. There's light. Resurrection happens. Resurrection happens. Three days later, he walks out. Three days later, light bursts forth through the darkness. Three days later, there is life again. Three days later, sorrow turns and transitions into joy. And let me give you the gospel according to Joni Mitchell. And that is that Jesus Christ is the first and the only person to have looked at life from both sides and not come away disillusioned. He's looked at life from both sides now. From God and from man, from up and from down and from heaven and earth and from presence and loneliness, from give and from take, from lose and win and from death and life. He's the only guy that's fully looked at life from both sides. And he comes resurrected, bodily resurrected into that, saying to his followers, touch the hands, touch, touch my feet, look, stay here, eat with me, touch me, feel me. This is not an illusion. This stuff is not something that is just running around in your head. In Jesus Christ, Christians have the ability to look at life from both sides, from, from joy and sorrow, from laughter and tears, and not come away disillusioned because in the resurrection... God gives us his future glimpse, a foretaste, an entree of what his plans for tears are. That, that the trouble that you are going through right now is not all there is, he says. But there will come a time, as Revelation 21 says, that the dwelling of God will be with, with his people and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death and there'll be no more mourning and there'll be no, no more crying and there'll be no more pain and they will hear him say, Behold, I make everything new. And what it means for you is that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of the sorrow and the pain and those past points in life that you wondered if you ever have back again, the answer is yes. Because what we see in the resurrection is that the resurrection will not just be compensation for what you have lost, but it will be a total restoration of all that you have lost. The tears are producing the joy. As, as we finish, let, let me just share a last story that sums all of this up. That's not a life story. It's a story about Jesus Christ. There's a section in John chapter 11 where Jesus gets word that his best friend has died. And it shows us the ultimate example of how to deal with tears because look, maybe just maybe we're not going to avail ourselves of philosophies this morning. Maybe theology is too much for you this morning. I want to prove something to you very personally that you may not believe in the God man but the God man is exactly what you need in your moment of greatest trouble. And here's why. His best friend dies. Four days later, he gets out there. The sisters of his best friend, Mary and Martha, run out to him. Martha says, Lord, if you just had been here, then, then we wouldn't be going through this. None of this would happen. You can almost imagine the way that she would have been beating against his chest with the tears. She knew who he was. She understood what he could have done for them. And he was late. 
all the, all the anger and the tears. Here's the funny thing. To the darkness of that moment, Jesus has two things that you and I don't have when we face these moments. Truth and power. He goes into that knowing exactly what's going to happen. He said to the boys, this is going to happen for my glory, for God's glory. Watch what's happened. This guy's going to come back to life again, Jesus is hinting at. Jesus knows what is about to happen. Not only that, he's got the power to raise this guy from the dead. But what does he do? He walks down to the tomb with them. And what does it say? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. He wept. He went into the tears with them. Didn't give him a McDonald's approach. I'm here. It's fine. He wept. He entered into the grief and the tears with those that he loved the most. Church, if, if, if that's how the head of, our, of this church acts when it comes to his emotions... If that's what the head of this whole operation, if that's, if that's who he is, if that's how he acts when he comes into the tears, what are the implications for you and I as a community? As an individual and as a community. Maybe for individuals it means if Jesus just enters into the weeping, then maybe we spend more time entering into people's tears. I'm a guy, I'm a bloke, we like to fix things. You know, oh, I'm sorry, you're upset, I know how to fix it, I've got the five logical steps and what's happening. Jesus doesn't do that. He weeps. And as a community, a whole heart of this series is, is, is to say, come on. Can't we realize that this is the one place, the Church of Jesus Christ, where it's okay not to be okay? A Christian someone who can look at life from both sides now, from win and lose, from give and take, from up and down, from joy and sorrow, and they not come away disillusioned. How? Because they anticipate tears. And when they do that, that gives them the resource to go in and sow their tears. And they sow their tears uh, into the safety of his understanding. They sow their tears into the pressure of the darkness. And they come out with a resource that is far deeper and far more golden than that which they ever imagined. Look, some of you are saying, I'm not sure if that's me. I'm not sure if I've got that. I'm not sure if I'm in that space. That, that's okay. That's fine. Christian, you just gotta, you've got to come back to the gospel. You've got to come back to the God-man himself and see the ministry that he offers to you, a ministry of tears and a ministry of truth. That the sorrow will give way to joy. Not only that, that the sorrow is producing the joy, as ridiculous as it sounds. And if you're someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ, um, if you're coming away from, from, from life disillusioned, and as like, like Joni Mitchell said, then, then clearly, obviously, you don't know life at all. You don't know the resurrection life that he is talking about. We've come to the table. We've eaten a bit of bread and a bit of a cup. We've taken this stuff here this morning as Christians. If you don't know him, don't take a bread and a cup. Take him as we move to this time of ministry. Let's pray.